Up next on Inside the SCCA, a button willow preview. Welcome to Inside the SCCA. I'm Brian Polanski. Today we're talking Super Tour Racing at Buttonwillow Raceway Park. My guest today is none other than Scotty B. White. Scotty, how are you? Oh, let me un... There we go. Unmute. How are you, sir? I can hear you. Very much so. Welcome to the show. First time on for the show, and I appreciate you being here. Um, Scotty hails from Lake Taps, Washington. And uh, you you drive a bunch of stuff. What 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 are you driving these days? Well, uh, we've been we've been driving a Viper. We took a Viper down to the southeast uh, kind of direction over there, the Sebring Super Tour and the Coda Super Tour and uh, a Touring Two car. Um, kind of giggle because it has no roof on it. That's fun. Hold on one second for me. Don't I have to? I did this last time. I have a switch to flip. Stand by. Now talk to me. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> Scotty's here. We got the audio fixed. My problem. All good. So you drive a bunch of stuff. What uh, What is it that you are driving these days? Well, we uh, we kind of put together a deal to go down and, and uh, run a bunch of super super tours. And uh, so, uh, but I only take one car because I uh, get a couple other buddies to go with me. And uh, so anyway, I took uh, took my touring two Viper. Um, and, uh, so we're running that in T2 and then we're also kind of doubling up and getting some, getting some starts in GT2 and T1 as well. And so, cause we can't ever make up our mind what we're going to run when we get to runoffs. So, um, we, we've seen you now at Sebring, we've seen you at Coda, um, and, uh, we're going to talk about all of that is, uh, a little bit later in the show. And of course we got you on here because Button Willow's next and we want to get your insights on, you know, what it takes to be fast at Button Willow. So, and uh, you are always at the pointy end of the field. So uh, that's why uh, that, that's why we've got you here. And I believe you won both we, we both races last year at Button Willow, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I think we. Yeah, we did yep. well until uh, we lost a motor running GT two for points or something in that T two right, Viper. Right, right. So, uh, so we're gonna talk all about that in uh, in a little bit here, but. Um, so I always start the show with the same question. Um, how did you get messed up in this crazy sport that we all love? Well, it's funny. A guy that works for me, uh, he worked for me uh, a long time ago, um, 25, 26 years ago or something like that. Uh, I, had, I had raced uh, sailboats, catamarans, and, and uh, off-road uh, you know, ATVs and motorcycles, dirt bikes and stuff when I was a kid drag race a little bit and then got out of everything would raise my family. And, uh, anyway, this guy worked for me. He bought a new Miata and he's like, you got to try this autocross stuff. It's crazy, man. You got to stand in the gas, no cops, nothing slide around and have a giggle. And so I had just bought a 1990 ZR one Corvette, which was, you know, the big dog. And, uh, so I took it out to my first autocross and, uh, promptly got my ass handed to me by a kid in a B 1600 Mazda pickup. <laughs> So I learned quickly that uh, it uh, didn't matter how big your wallet was or what you were spending, how much you mortgaged the house to get a car, it, you had to drive it. And uh, so I had some giggles there and then uh, progressed to a couple of track days. A great uh, friend of mine, Greg Fordall, who uh, rest in peace, is uh, 
um, kind of got us sucked in pretty hard and started working on our cars. And, and, uh, within a couple of years, uh, we were doing it with the whole family and the kids were, uh, running go-karts and, uh, uh, the former wife was, uh, was knocking down national championships in a Corvette and a Viper at, uh, at solo nationals. So yeah, started road racing and we turned out we weren't horrible at it, I guess. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Especially now. So I don't know how long it got you. I don't know how long it took you to get to the front end of the field, but uh, you're you're always up front now. You could not probably have picked a worse car to go to your first autocross in than a big old Corvette. <laughs> well, it was funny because the L98 Corvettes at that time were killing it in Superstock, right? Uh, but the ZR1 was was uh, very lethargic, very soft. It was. Uh, uh, and super heavy and uh, didn't do anything below 5,500 RPM. And it was just, it was a horrible autocross car, but uh, it was a ZR1. It was cool. That's right. You had fun. And that's, that's yeah. really, that's really why we all get into this, right? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. And of course, I found out through COVID, you know, and we all had to take a break for a minute, but um, solo especially was a, was a, uh, is a, very um social sport because let's face it you spend the entire weekend hanging out with everybody and you know standing in the rain and the right. sun and everything else and you get six minutes of track time so uh you better like the people you're hanging out with i think and, right. and made a lot of great friends and and uh turns out that that road racing is a lot more like that than i thought we kind of found that out first uh first shot back on the track with coda and everybody was so excited to get back out on the track we i think we had the first event in the country up here in the northwest and, um, and, but we all had to stay six feet away from each other. We all had to park way away from each other. No parties, no, you know, no hanging out, drinking beer and telling lies. And, and it was weird. It was, it was really strange. So, uh, thank God that, uh, that stuff's behind us. But I think, uh, a lot of people, including myself found out just how social it is just, and I really appreciate it now. I love going around the country right. and seeing, seeing all my friends that I only see a few times a year. I mean, I, I tell people that, you know, we all kind of show up for the cars typically, unless you're like drug along by your family. And, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people start that way. But those of us who started a little bit later and, you know, we came because we love cars and things that go fast. And then if you've done it for any length of time, I don't, you said 1990s, I, my first race with my dad was 86. You know, you don't do anything for 35 years if you don't like the people you're hanging out with. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's the weekends are way more fun when you finish up front, uh, a lot, a lot more fun than when you finish on the trailer, uh, you know, or on a record or something, but, uh, but it's still, you know, we have a lot of giggles and people are running around talking to each other and telling lies and stuff. And it's, uh, it's, it's a neat deal. This, 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 uh, sports car club of America is, uh, uh, I got a lot invested in it and, uh, I really enjoy the people. So how long did you run autocross before you ventured into the wheel to wheel stuff? I think I, my first autocross was 1993, um, right at the end of the year, did the last one of the year. And then, uh, and then by 97, I had my road race license. And, uh, uh, by 99, I won the first professional race. Actually it was first, pro win for the C5 Corvette 1B before uh, fellows and all those guys did. Of course, different series. We're in World Challenge, but right. uh, um, with the Doug Rippey car. And uh, 
that was made that was built out of two Corvettes that were smashed. One was smashed the front, one was smashed the back. <laughs> Cut them in half, put it together, and made one car out of it. And uh, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. We won the Molson Indy in Vancouver, right in '99. So that kind of really launched us. So the front end of one car must have been the best part of that car, and the rear end of the other car was the best part of that car, right? Well, let's hope so. I don't. I don't think that they ever took the smashed up ends and tried to glue them back together. I think they took the good pieces. So you you were in Corvettes then. Now you're running Vipers. Um, wh- when was that transition, and what got you to that point? Well, uh, you know, a bunch of us. I mean, you take a look at some of these guys, Heinersy and Pilgrim, and and uh, a lot of other names, Altenberg, and some other guys. They all were running professional series, and then you know it started getting really expensive. And uh, no, Bobby, you know, yeah, no, it really, it did, honestly. <laughs> Shocking, <laughs> not fooling you. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, so we dialed back to club racing, and you know, all of a sudden, we're racing the same guys, we're racing Archer and Heinersy and Altenberg, and you know, all these other guys that only were not spending $35,000 a weekend, which probably anybody would love to be able to race a pro event sure. for 30 grand now, but um, and so, so the competition was there and just as stiff and tough, um. And, uh, and honestly, sometimes I think the scrutinizing was, was, was more intense, but, uh, so we kind of got doing that and, and, um, uh, it was, uh, uh, you know, we went to mid Ohio and when they first changed the, uh, changed into the, well, it's not really the current touring one, but went from T1 was like a bunch of, uh, pony cars. And then they changed that to T2 and made T1 uh, Vipers and Corvettes and stuff. So anyway, we were running Corvettes and, um, uh, and beating our head against the wall because, uh, we, we were sponsored by GM. GM was sending us stuff and helping us with technical support. And then it kind of got to the point where now their pro guys were running in the club and they're kind of running against us. And we had one year, uh, where, uh, bless their hearts. I, I kind of came up with, I thought that we were sort of two teams on opposite coasts and, talked to a principal on the East coast and said, Hey, I came up with this idea about, you know, what if we run the MN six transmission and then we run the 99 exhaust manifolds. And I think that'll work better. We didn't work on the dyno and everything. And, and I was told, Oh, that's a great idea. You know, Heinrich, tried that. And, uh, and, and it just didn't work. So I'm like, okay, so, all right, well, man, that's good to know. Now I don't even have to, you know, put the car all together. And, uh, guess what John was running when he showed up at runoffs. Exactly what you wanted to do anyone you know again so uh anyway we kind of figured out we got really frustrated that year i think that was 2004 or something i don't remember what year it was anyway and uh cindy lux uh was my teammate um great gal out of portland she's such a strong shoe and uh such a character her and fred but anyway so uh so we came off the track and i was just so livid i was just like man I'm tired of beating my head against the wall against the factory. And now I've gone from getting factory support to getting misinformation. Um, and uh, so she called uh, um, uh, Mr. Fitzgerald mm-hmm. and we flew up to Michigan to see him the next week. And, uh, um, and he said, yeah, I know who you are and uh, you guys belong in Vipers. And so that's what, that's what got turned us on to driving the Vipers. And then the very next year, um, I led the first lap at runoffs that anybody had led besides Heinersy. And, and I was on the pole before Heinersy for, I don't know, I think four or five years or something like that. He just was one after another, just like shooting ducks and, you know, shooting fish in a barrel. So. Well, one of my favorite people in the world 
is a Viper guy, Ben Keating. You, you, you work at all with Ben on this stuff? Does you guys talk at all? No, I, I, I spoke with Ben a few times when he was still kind of doing Viper stuff, and my buddy Pratt Cole uh, rented a car from him at one time, but it uh, didn't work out well for Pratt. They tried to change it around different tire sizes and stuff, and it didn't. the car just didn't work right for him at Road America. Um, but, yeah, no, Ben is uh, – Ben is a guy to be admired because, you know, he started out like, I think his wife bought him a Ferrari or something. And yeah. he ended up at a track day and said, this is kind of fun. And, you know, next thing you know, he's, and now he's, he's killing it. I mean, he's super fit and he's, uh, he's running, clicking off laps, just like the big dogs that get paid a lot to do it. Yeah. We, I'd been on, uh, been on a different uh, podcast and I told him, I said, you know, you're, you're, you're 60 now. And I said, that means I got seven years to get as good, to get as fit as you are. So um, <laughs> cause I, I don't think I could fit anywhere close into any of those cars. So, um, so I was having a conversation with him one time and he was like, he was like, you know, we were talking about, I can't remember who his, his co-driver was. I can't remember the guy's name, but, uh, but they were telling him that, uh, oh, well, you know, it's, it's because you're, you know, you're weigh 15 pounds more than you should or something that you can't get the lap time. And that apparently just really pissed him off and he invested in Peloton or something. When I was, when we were interviewing him, he was walking around his backyard in Texas. It must've been 95 degrees outside in Texas humidity. And he was walking laps around his backyard during the interview with five pound or 10 pound dumbbells, you know, doing like curls for like 45 minutes. And you'd never know it by listening to the interview. It, 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 it's, it's nuts. It's, it's just crazy. Anyway, back, back to our stuff. <laughs> um, so you're running Vipers now. You're the only Viper guy, I think, in the country really doing the t1 t2 stuff right yeah i think everybody's kind of bailed out there there it's a, you know uh it's a tough car to class it, it's it's been in t2 it's never had any success in t2 we had great success in 2006 and 2007 with the vipers in t1 and um led a lot of laps and and led runoffs and had miss misfortunes but uh um but the cars got hammered so hard that uh, um, they never they never softened up on them enough to make them competitive again until, gosh, I don't know, 2010 or 11 or something like that. And then I think my old car that ended up in Lance Knupp's, Lance Knupp's hands uh, actually won, I think, uh, with, with, with um, Corvette guy driving it, Buttermore. Okay, uh, yep. That's how that went, but... Uh, yeah, they hammered him so bad, 3,700 pounds, breathing through a tiny little hole. And so anyway, somehow they ended up in T2, and I stumbled into this car because I've been running Mustangs and Porsches and BMWs and stuff, and uh, heard about this car that that, that uh, uh, was built in 2005, and somebody, um, uh, they had lost three motors trying to make it work, and they gave up. And so I bought it really reasonable and, and – uh, sent it down to Fred Lux to love on for a while. And, and, uh, it's been a hoot. I always wanted to run one without the top on it. And it's just a bunch of fun with no roof on it. Although uh, you're out there in front of God and everybody. So, uh, you know, you got to, uh, not get your hands all tangled up and look like a goof. Right. Right. So what's your program look like this year? Are you, are you hitting all the super tours and the runoffs? How many of them are you going to get to? Well, we're doing, uh, Buttonwell is kind of addition we didn't plan on doing. And, all our quit, all the, the the four cars that we've been running in the Super Tour. Uh, there's myself, and then in the Viper, and then there's uh, Mike McAleen in a T1 and a McLaren, uh, Todd Clark in a T3 Spec 46, and Randy Johnson, a new guy we're bringing along, in a um, uh, in my old T3 Mustang V6 Mustang. 
Uh, but that's all that stuff is in Coda right now. We left it there at Chris Taylor's shop and uh, I'm bringing a T4 car, T4 Mustang down. It just got some BOP help. So we're going to run it down to Button Willow and, and uh, run it down there and see how it does. Cool. So that we're doing that. And I don't really know. My initial plan at the start of the year was to run T2 and GT2 in the two Vipers, uh, in the in the black Viper and in the comp coupe. Uh, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't really know where we're going to end up. We're going to qualify in some classes and then see what. <laughs> All right. Let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll talk about Sebring and we'll talk about Coda and then we'll we'll talk about obviously Button Willow. That's up next. So stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Inside the SCCA. Sentinel by Candle Area Racing Products is a comprehensive motorsports video system. Incorporating live streaming, local recording, picture in picture, flag status, leaderboards, data overlays, and more. Perfect for endurance racing, sprint racing, and HPDE, Sentinel includes everything you need to get started. With the ability to control the live feed from the cloud and GPS Auto Start will never miss an on-track moment. What are you waiting for? Get your Sentinel today. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. All right, we are back on Inside the SCCA. Brian Bolanski here, Scotty B. White, joining me t uh, tonight. And uh, we're talking talking a lot of Super Tour stuff. Uh, we just got done with, uh, with Circuit of the Americas. Hopefully uh, a lot of folks were out there watching the live stream if you weren't in Austin. And uh, just to also remind you that we're going to be doing the live stream again uh, from Button Willow and from all of the rest of the Super Tour races. Scotty, you were with us at uh, at Sebring. You were with us at Coda. Let's talk about Sebring first. Um, what was your what were your thoughts on so so looking at the numbers and the drivers this year? Um, just your impressions of both the first two rounds of the Super Tour. Pretty similar to what you saw last year. Actually, I think I think that Sebring was down uh, considerably. I okay. think it was down thirty five percent. Oh wow! I we had five hundred entries last year, and I think this year was about three fifty, which is still super strong. I mean, most regions, including mine would kill for 350. Oh, heck yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, those guys put on a good show and it's, and the track is just iconic. And I just, I just love it there. It's just, uh, it just, I've been wanting to try and get there for 10 years and we finally did it for the first time last year. And, and, uh, it didn't go perfectly for everybody, uh, that was in my trailer. Uh, we rode off one car, broke a guy's back and, uh, and then went to the next race and rode off another car uh, so this year we're way ahead. We only got <laughs> a couple of dents in, in cars and, and, uh, so far the, uh, the old black hot rod is, uh, unscathed. I think maybe last year's super tour was, was big because it felt like we were kind of coming, coming to the other end of Coda or, Co uh, um, COVID, you know, and a lot of people were kind of pent up and wanted to get out and go racing. And, and it was kind of like almost the first, the first of the other side from the before times. Um, so that, that may have had something to do with it. Um, your run this year at Coda in your, your two races, how do those go for you? And, and, uh, at Sebring, I should say. Yeah. Sebring went really well. It, it uh, I was, uh, I qualified P2 and, and, uh, ran 
P2. Um, you know, the, I was starting to say the BOP is really tough for these guys to get with a Viper because it just it, it has a one really strong spot, and that's from like basically a rolling start up to about 130. It's super strong, uh, a little weaker on the top end, but it gets from 30 to 130 pretty quick. Um, and it just doesn't dig out of the corner quite as quick or get mid corner. So guys have a tough time right now. I'm, I'm not sure that I'm happy with the BOP, but, uh, Bowden and I kind of, uh, Mark is, was driving a, uh, a very well put together Porsche and, uh, just didn't have anything for him, but you know, we, we were ahead of, uh, the rest of the guys, uh, you know, including, uh, Heinersy, which is, uh, you know, anytime you finish in front of John, you're having a, you're having a good day. Right. Right. So that was going to be my next question. You 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 nicely let let me into it, so I don't have to be the bad guy. Um, oh. That that nine nine seven, you know, if I spent a little time up in the Northeast, they would call that thing wicked fast. <laughs> what uh, what can what what can you do to your car, or what should they do to that car? To uh, but you, like you said, the rest of the field's behind you, so it's it's in a weird spot, right? Yeah, well, and, and I'm not sure that, you know, I mean, Kurt Resitano wasn't there. Um, you know, there's a couple other guys that are serious players that weren't there. Kesman wasn't there. He's always a player in that class. So, uh, you know, I'm afraid if Kesman would have been there in another Porsche, he would have been in front of me as well. Sure. But, um, you know, I, it's just uh, the cars have gotten so fast. And, uh, you know, and, and Mark, is, Mark is no slouch. You know, he knows how to get around a track real well. And, right. Uh, he's, I even, I was telling Nathan, who is kind of their, their leader there, um, that I, I was impressed with Mark. I thought Mark was, uh, he's driving better than I've ever seen him. And Nathan kind of told me the story about why, but anyway, um, so yeah, cause I thought I could get up on his, get up on his bumper, harass him a little bit, get him to run those a sevens off. And, uh, I just couldn't get close enough to him to, uh, to hang with him. So, uh, he was, he was kind of gone, but, uh, I don't know. I, I I feel like if my car could lose a hundred pounds, it'd probably be a lot better day in a lot a lot of places. Sure. But, uh, it's going to be whatever it's going to be. Like I said, it's a struggle for them because a lot of times, if it's a short shoot, a short straightaway, um, like the where the speed trap is at Sebring, uh, you know, the Viper looks it's always three four miles an hour faster than the other cars. Right. Um, long straightaway at Coda, um, uh, the uh, the Porsche was had a bigger number in right. the traps than the Viper. But uh, right now, you know, we're having a good time. We've got a, we've got an S550 Mustang. That's about 70% done. That could be a T2 car. And uh, I just don't know. I really love the Mustangs. They're, they're, they're a lot of fun. You know, the Vipers have like the smallest cockpit out there. They're smaller than a Miata inside. So <laughs> yeah, I love the Mustangs because you, when you're driving it, you never think about, Oh, what if I get upside down or what if I get parked in the tires or something? You know, you can, you can go out the passenger door right. or you know, out the driver's door or out the back porch or through the pool room or the garage or whatever. You know, there's always a way to get those cars are so huge inside. You know, it makes them very confident when you drive them. You know, I, I, I'm a self-described Porsche nut. I'll, 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 I'll just say it. But when that V10 comes flying down, when you got your foot on the go fast pedal, it sounds awesome. Well, thanks. I always tease it sounds like a UPS truck, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but the torque of the thing is just, it's just goofy. You know, yeah. that's really fun. Yeah. I, I remember when those were the, the class of a lot of different fields and, and it was, you'd get five or six or seven of them on a race weekend and they'd just be like <laughs> right past you. 
And I was like, now that's that's what every warm blooded American male came to the racetrack to see, you know. Well, we're we're uh, we run a pretty small restrictor in 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 two T two to kind of you know to dumb it down with the rest of the cars and and uh, so we're shifting that thing at like I mean you know just about like a diesel we shift we shifted about fifty two fifty three hundred RPM <laughs> yeah you know, it's like practically once it gets past the starter RPM it's ready to shift right to right all right so at uh, at Coda same kind of deal Mark Bowden had the is he going to be at Button Willow? No. Oh, no, okay. No, no, good no. for you. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not running T2 there. Oh, so. no. But uh, I would just no, run it because, you know. <laughs> well, I, I got to run T4, and, yeah. and uh, unfortunately, T4 runs with T2. So, yeah. I like to try and get two entries on a weekend sure. so that I can get and just bring one car and, you know, stumble around, look like a wanker in the, in the big class, but, you know, at least I get a few points and get my weekends in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So the reason the reason I got you on here was talk about Button Willow. Um, it, you know, I, I, like I said earlier, I've been fortunate enough to be all over the country and I've I've been to most every awesome racetrack that we have here in the north in North America. Um, and, and I think Button Willow is kind of a hidden gem. It is so cool because there's so many different configurations. There's so many different nuances to it. Um, it's a very different racetrack counterclockwise than it is clockwise. Um, and, and it, it's just kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it, it really is. I mean, if I think if Button Willow, if Button Willow had more beautiful surroundings and, uh, uh, maybe didn't get the whiff of the fertilizer every once in a while, uh, <laughs> I'm from Wisconsin, know. so I'm good. I'm, yeah, I'm good with okay. that. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great track and it's, technical and challenging and ballsy um you know it's kind of got it all which i really enjoy and for the most part uh you know the thing that i think is really good about it um i'm not so sure it's my favorite thing about it but it's kind of benign you know it's kind of a little bit like utah or whatever you know you can get it wrong and you're and you know you're probably going to get really dirty or really muddy but chances are you can wash the mud off or blow the dirt out and you still got a race car so that's that's a great thing about button willow and of course the people in cow club are always you know, super good CC and, and, you know, everybody down there is just uh, fun to hang out with. Used to see Marge Binks down there all the time. And, you know, it's uh, the people are cool and the track's good and it's nice to get a little bit of summer weather in the winter too. Yeah. I always joke as an announcer, I love it because when now we have lots of cameras, but when you don't have lots of cameras, you just got to look for dust and that's when you know something's (laughs) happened. You know, and uh, and and you get you get beautiful race cars that all end up looking like they were in, you know, desert storm. You know, they're covered in dust and they look camouflaged by the end of the race. Um, so so what's the secret um, to get around Button Willow fast? Well, I think there's I think there's a couple places that that uh, that you really need to need to look at, um, you know, uh, the. I think we're running 25 clockwise. So uh, um, the last turn leading onto the, onto the front straight is, is deceiving. It's, it's uh, faster than it looks. Turn one is faster than it looks. Um, then the sequence that's probably three, four, five over, over the little whiz bang to the right by the turn station. Right. There's a lot of speed to be carried through there. Once you build the confidence of knowing where the car is going to land and that you're not going to fly off the track um, all up through there, because you can be 
even in a high powered car, you once you get to the gas coming over that hill, I mean, you're pretty much flat all the way and, and running it through. Little Talladega takes takes a lot of guts. Um, and then uh, uh, up over the uh, what do we what do we call that? But well, I always want to call it the crow's nest. That's not it. Phil Hill. Phil Hill. There you go. Yep. Uh, and uh, you know, there's a specific approach to that that works. I have a terrible story about that. We had a World Challenge Corvette that Doug Ribby built in 2000, and it was the most gorgeous car. It raised all kinds of hell in World Challenge. And we were going to the we were going to the Corvette Museum. We were sponsored by West Coast Corvettes. We had all this money thrown at us and everything. And uh, so we went to do some setup and test at uh, um, at Bonnello. And somebody was talking to me on the radio, and I got distracted coming over Phil Hill and tore the entire splitter and everything off of it. Like on the oh. very first, my crew just wanted to kill me. And they were <laughs> back together to go to this big event, but anyhow, uh, yeah, I don't go off there any bar- anymore very often. That's, that's I have that's burned in my memory. Don't do that. <laughs> But, you know, up through the S's, uh, you know, knowing which curbs you can get on, which you can't. Um, it's a, you know, it's, I think it, the, the the people that really get up on the wheel get separated in lap times quite a ways mm-hmm. with that track. Yeah, and, and it's one of those, and it's forgiving in so much as that there's nothing to hit. So, and and I think that also, though, is a problem because people know there's nothing to hit and they don't maybe quite... It's a it's a pretty technical track to get really right fast. So, but when you know you don't really have to worry about hitting anything, you can be a little sloppy, right? Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. Although sloppy's not fast there, no. even though you're going faster, I don't think it produces lap times. I think that the, what produces the lap times is knowing exactly what's on the other side of that hill, right, or, or whatever, and placing the car uh, perfectly. I I love those really technical tracks. I came from autocross and you know and and uh i mean that's a you know some people don't think that that's a big deal but uh man you look at some of the best there are pd cunningham randy popes just to mention a couple of guys that start out knocking over cones you know and are really really good because they drive with ultimate precision you know uh 1987 milwaukee county stadium snot-nosed 17 year old kid in a chevy cavalier and pd cunningham was my instructor my solo instructor awesome. yeah yeah back when he was now he's peter cunningham oh yes yes we don't call him pd anymore oh i'll have so, to remember that yeah 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 i i was like hey where, where did where did pd go to man we don't know you as peter uh i was joke with that but uh yeah so yeah pd was great on a solo course um he's, he's really funny that oh. guy is just hilarious and yeah. rock a smile when he's making you bust up. Right, right. You know, you just mentioned something, and we don't talk about it a lot as the crossover here um, between solo autocross and road racing. Um, and it's always great to hear someone who is as good as you are talk about how important autocross was to getting to you where you are today. Can you get a little bit deeper into that for me? Well, I, I have a strong belief in that everything is everything is the same at 70 miles an hour. The car balance, the you know, the the um, what you do with your hands and feet and your eyes and everything, it's all the same at 70 as it is 150 or 160. Um, the difference is the consequences are much less when you get it wrong. Um, but I've, I've my sort of uh, observation has always been that guys who were great autocrossers. And also had, and also were, um, 
brave <laughs> uh, and confident made great road racers because then the only element that they have to learn really is uh, is is traffic and how to read other drivers and how to how to how to navigate traffic and that sort of thing and if you can I think if a guy can do all those things if a guy's a great autocrosser and he's got you know big steel clankers uh, <laughs> and and knows how to set up a car um, then he's he's got to learn traffic and if he learns that he's great and that's 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 your Randy Popes that's your right. Jeff Alton, that's your PD Cunningham right you know um, and uh, I was never as good an autocrosser as those guys I stumbled into a couple of uh, um, good wins and you know uh year-end championships i never won a national champion well i did win a national championship but it was in the class it wasn't the class yet the next year was it oh okay there you go that's i think uh, i always encourage everybody to autocross because once they learn it and they can learn it without any consequences you could get it wrong if you go out and start the track days which uh you know and you and you go 104 percent and you get it wrong it gets expensive and possibly painful yeah Uh, so that's why I always like to see a guy autocross a few times first and and uh, get an idea of how it all works. You know, there's a lot of talk in the club about, you know, converting autocrossers to road racers and, and a pipeline. And and I and we've also talked a lot about about how, um, uh, you know, it, it's OK to be it's great to be just an autocrosser and not have aspirations to go into road racing. Um, but for anyone who does have aspirations to go into road racing, there's so much value that you can get, even if you did a half a dozen weekends in autocross, um, because there's just, you know, hitting your marks and finding your cones and learning a track because in autocross, you learn on a different track every time, sometimes from Saturday to Sunday, you know, and learning a racetrack is not easy to do. Obviously we have now I racing, which helps a little bit, at least knowing where the corners are. Um, but you know, there's so much that you can learn in the autocross stuff. Well, I, I think so too. And that's, that's, uh, um, I know that when I, I've used that, that thought process to, I think, to my advantage. I mean, a, a good example of that is, is we went to Topeka in, in 2006 for runoffs and we had tested and tested and tested um, with the Dodge engineers. Matt Benarowitz was our engineer. I mean, he's the guy that, that, that he's, he's an IMSA engineer now, you know, and he, he's the one that, uh, that engineered the, the Vipers back to the, back to the IMSA championships just a few years ago. Um, but anyway, uh, we went there and tested, tested, tested in 110 degree weather. And then we went back for runoffs and we were testing and we got to the point where he could move one click on, on, on the shocks and we'd lose a 10th or two, put the click back, be back where we're at, you know? So we were getting to the point where we we're finite. And then I kind of backed up and looked at that track and said, you know, I, I think there might be a better way than the accepted way that everybody's going around the carousel and changed it. And we found like, almost half a second wow. just that change and it's from looking at things differently than other people do uh ed zabinski a good friend of mine and he's been uh, helping me with uh with coaching um and uh uh you know ed ed and i have raced against each other and had great great fun back in t1 days and stuff um but you know ed knows these tracks he's coached all these people ferrari guys and imsa guys and you know, uh, Tucker and, you know, he's made a lot of great race car drivers out of, out of guys that didn't start out that way. And, uh, you know, the first time we went to Coda a few years ago and there's a, through the end of the S's, I was looking at it and I was going, no, I don't think that's the right way through there. 
and uh, looking at it like an autocrosser would, you know. And uh, he's like, ah, God, you know. And <laughs> all right, let's try it. Let's try it next session. So we went out and we and we tried this approach that I'm doing. And uh, holy moly, it was like four tenths. Yeah. You know? <laughs> he's like, well, damn, now I got to change how I teach the S's. So uh, yeah, anyhow, it that's that's uh, that's been that's been kind of fun. Cindy and I used to do that a lot because she'd been to all these tracks before too that I hadn't gotten to. And uh, I'd be like, well, what if we do this? Even did it at Portland. We found a few new ways around there. So, you know, obviously in club racing for most people, a lot of people, uh, cost is a consideration. And you've talked a lot here several times about testing. And when you're a club racer and maybe funding is not, you know, a huge bank, testing sometimes is a luxury. Um, and I'm throwing this out of here. We've completely now made a right turn because you've, you've taken me down a rabbit hole, but can you, can you give some tips for the guy or gal out there who doesn't have deep pockets, who might not be able to afford a bunch of test days, how they can get the most out of the time they can, either a practice session or whatever. Well, um, honestly, there's people that are better at, at putting that together than I am. Uh, because I'll find two or three specific things that I want to look at. Um, so I guess that's kind of what you're supposed to do in testing. Um, but you know, you got to know the track first. Uh, so, uh, a lot of times, you know, you're talking about the fuel in an extra day and, uh, um, and, uh, and, you know, you're probably testing on used tires, hopefully not dead tires. Right. It can be a huge advantage, especially if you're, if you're running up near the pointy end of the grid and, doing that test day get finds you a few things and all of a sudden now you won contingency that weekend that you weren't going to win instead. So whatever it costs you now, all of a sudden you got a few tires in your pocket or, you know, some brake pads from Hawk or, you know, whatever. And, and uh, you know, some money from summit. And uh, so to me, it's almost like if I could test every race weekend and do four race weekends or not test and do five, I think I'm going to gain more by adding in that test day and only doing four. And, you know, make the family happier, too, I guess, if they don't want to go, you know. That's an interesting thought because, you know, obviously you want to race, race, race. But, you know, maybe the way you work in a testing program is to do one less weekend and put a test day at the front of each weekend, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think the other – one of the other things that's 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 huge uh, for, for, you know, guys that are just kind of getting going is to learn what what their purpose is every time they're on the track, whether it's – if they're on a test day, what they're doing with the test day, whether it's qualifying or whether it's racing or whatever, um, you know, to win a race, you gotta, you gotta win in three places. You gotta beat the rule book. You gotta beat the competitors on track and you gotta beat the track in qualifying. All you gotta do is beat the rule book and the track. But if you're, if you're up on somebody's bumper and mad, cause they're a little slower than you are in turn three, you're an idiot, frankly, because <laughs> you're racing the track. So, uh, the, the, learning that kind of stuff is hugely helpful for guys, I think, but testing is, uh, unless you have everything figured out, if everything's completely dialed, but you look at the, the great teams in club racing, you know, those guys have their stuff figured out. You know, when, when Phoenix shows up to the racetrack, they're not, you know, they're, they're not, uh, they're not trying to figure out what spring rate to run. They're not trying to figure out, you know, what wheel spacers to run. I mean, they pretty much have all that dialed from, uh, what they did before. And there's ways to help fun stuff. Yeah. You know, I mean, 
Mine maybe is on a bigger level because I got a big transporter that hauls multiple cars and I can get a, I can have other people go with me and help me pay the expenses that way. But, you know, maybe you're maybe you're a great mechanic. So, you know, you go you go wrench on somebody else's car and help them out all weekend and make a few bucks so that you can go racing the next weekend, you know, and you're at the racetrack and you're learning stuff at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I, I you can learn something every time you're at the racetrack, whether you're driving, whether you're wrenching, whether you're standing on a corner flagging because you can't afford to race that weekend. There's a That's heck a great place too, absolutely because when you, because it's the best view in the house, um, and when you can stand on a corner and watch a bunch of really fast guys go through a section, it's you're going to learn a lot. You know, you know where else you can learn a lot. Yeah, go, go volunteer with the scrutineering team for a weekend. You get to look at every single race car that comes through. You get to exactly. You get to see what's under that hood to see. Oh, I maybe I should do that on my car, or 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 maybe I don't want to do that on my car. But I mean, that's another way to to get some eyeballs on cars and not spend a penny as far as that stuff goes. And you can certainly glean some some knowledge there. Take it back home and you know put it put it on your car. So. Um, I always love doing that kind of stuff. So even, even, even bigger teams, you know, it's, it's, uh, welcome somebody. I mean, I've had, I've had guys come up and say, Hey man, we're going to take, I just want to come, you know, wax the car and, and, and clean the wheels or whatever. And you'll learn a bunch of stuff and, you know, you're probably going to get some cool swag and get fed well and, yep. and, you know, get close to the action. Yep. And I'll tell you folks who are at home listening, um, if you want to do that, if you want to find a way to, you know, hook up with the team or you want to find a way to to, um, you know, volunteer for a weekend, uh, go to the uh, SECA official Facebook page and put a note out there. Hey, I live near I live near Portland and I'm available for this weekend. Anybody need some help? And I guarantee you <laughs> that somebody will say, you come, we'll take your help, you know get you in free and and if you want to work a race that'd be great, cool too we can I'll, I'll i'm sure there'll people that will take it so all right so we're going to take another break break here um i have uh, i was called out when when we started this before we got on the air about making a comment about scotty and his opinions so um we're gonna put a quarter in the opinion machine right here after this break stay with us we're on inside the scca vintage racers for rescues Racers rescuing dogs and cats from high-kill rural shelters and high-risk situations. Virginia and North Carolina have the third highest euthanasia rate in the U.S., and Vintage Racers for Rescue's founders, Robin and Dave Handy, decided to do something about it. Vintage Racers for Rescue's is a 501c3 charity that saves between three and 400 animals every year, nursing them back to health, finding foster homes, and eventually forever homes. VintageRacersForRescues.com. Use the QR code to find them on the web or to make a donation. Corgi Sport is your one-stop shop for new and used mini parts and accessories. Whether it's driven on the street or on the racetrack, we have everything you need. From the small interior parts, all the way to used and rebuilt motors. And with our sponsorship of the GPM Race Team, who travel to more than 30 tracks east of the Mississippi, we have a built-in delivery system that can save money on delivering large parts. Our line of Corgi Sport apparel celebrates the special bond between mini owners and their dogs. Mention this ad for a 10% discount at corgisport.com. Racing for Heroes is proud to be a partner of Inside the SECA. RFH is a nonprofit devoted to helping veterans suffering from the seen and unseen wounds of war through racing and our range of programs. 
RFH's programs include health and wellness, motorsports therapy, community outreach, education, and employment. Visit RacingForHeroes.org to learn more and find out how you can help. Cruise Associates is honored to have sponsored this message. All right, we are back on Inside the SCCA. I'm Brian Belansky. That's what it says on the screen there. Scotty B. Waite joining me also. All right, Scotty, you called me out before we went live about something I said on one of the live streams. I, I think I think you said, and, I, and it sounds like something I would say, that I'd mentioned Scotty B. White's a guy with opinions and he's never afraid to share them. <laughs> something like that. It was, actually, it was actually pretty funny. Somebody else pointed it out to me and they said, oh, yeah, there's Scotty B. White. He's, a, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's always running up front. And, uh, you know, there's a guy that uh, has plenty of opinions and he's happy to share them. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. That's, you know, we got to have people to stir the pot here at this club because that's how things get done. And uh, so so let's let's talk for a second. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, One of the reasons uh, I wanted to do this podcast and and do it independent of the club. I do have some I have I have no monetary support for the club to do the podcast, but they do support because they 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 like the stories that we tell and, and it's good for the club. So. Um, but anyway, um, I keep it independent because I like to be able to have tough conversations sometimes, you know, we're not, we're not perfect. We've got our issues. There are things that happen. Um, so, so, um, you know, you talk already about BOP. Sometimes that can be hard. Um, and, um, where are the things that you think as a club, because you've been all over with lots of different organizations, what, what, what are we doing good and what could be, what could we be doing a little bit better? Well, um, I sort of, I have a, a kind of a business background, started my own business when I was 20 years old. And, um, so I kind of think along those lines. And, uh, one of the things that, uh, that I think we're getting wrong, and this is probably not, will not be popular with some of the people in Topeka, <laughs> uh, is that, uh, well, let me start out with and say the two things that we're getting really, really right, I think. Uh, about as right as they can be, there's always room for improvement. But this club kicks ass at sprint racing, sprint road racing, and it kicks ass at solo. Those are two things that this club does phenomenally well. And I think we probably do um, rally cross pretty well, but honestly, I don't I don't know that venue, so I, I, I wouldn't really comment on that. But... Uh, when somebody's in business, I think what you need to do is that if you have four SKUs that sell pretty well and you kind of got majority in the market, you focus on making those SKUs even better and better and better and better and better. You stay in your lane and you make it until nobody would buy facial tissues from anybody but you. Right. Because you're clearly the best best value, best everything. We're not hundred percent there yet. Although I think we're better than anybody else at those two venues that I'm suggesting. Sure. But I think where businesses get sidetracked and get lost as they start looking over the fence and going, wow, that champ car deal. They're really doing good. That lucky dog. They're really doing good. We, we need to go get some of that. Um, and I don't think that's the right thing to do. I think that lucky dog, I think Kathy Fuss is absolutely killing it. I think she's got a she's got a 
a program put together that that nails it. And I think even if we went after it and through every resource we had, we'd be a long time before we would start getting market share in that. In the meantime, all those all that effort and resources could be put more into club racing. Like we were talking about just this broadcast stuff that you're doing at the Super Tours is great, but I think there's more room for improvement there to make it even better and draw more spectators and get more people interested. Um, you know, just like F1's blowing up now because it's got, because, you know, what's happening with the marketing. Um, I, I'm talking to people that never even knew what a race car was. It's just like, yeah, I'm a Formula One fan now, you know? Exactly. So that's, I think we're missing that because I think we're chasing too many things. And I think we need to stay in our own lane until we get 100% market share down close to it. And then maybe you have a little bit of luxury to go dip your toes in someplace. But why would you want to go dip your toes in someplace? that somebody else has hundred percent market share that somebody else is killing it. Right. That's where I think we're, that's where I think we're getting it wrong. Um, and it's, it frustrates me to see that happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I also host inside champ car. That's my other, one of my other podcasts. And, and like you said, you know, they and lucky dog and to a different extent, to a different audience lemons, um, you know, they're really good at doing what they do. Um, and, and I've always been a firm believer that there's plenty of, um, there's plenty of room for all of us, you know, where we can all peacefully coexist and even maybe even work together and, and, um, you know, and, and with like classing, so the cars might be able to cross over a little bit better, that kind of stuff. Um, there's, there's some things that can be done there. Um, you know, but this club's always been a club that dabbled in a lot of different things. Um, it's, it's all, I mean, from as long as I know, um, it's, it's always been a little of this and a little of that. And, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, but to that point, here's another thing I think that we're too much in, in the club. And, and one of the things that could make club racing, sprint racing even better is, we have 27 classes. It is crazy. You know, if we can balance of power in in T1, T2, T3, we could balance some power in T1 and T2. Lump them all together. But the fact, you know, I mean, it, it it's never going to be perfect. Never going to, it never is. Um, but there's so many classes, um, so many. And, and if you're trying to attract uh, more people younger because frankly you and i are old as f here and we're only going to be able to do this so much longer and if my kid's not interested and 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 my kid's friends aren't interested it's going to be a it's not going to be long before we're going to have some problems here you know and and while i love f production and h production midgets and spridgets and mgs you know that can't be the future of this club no it's it's uh well, and, that, and the thing is, is that here's a, when it comes to BOP, I have a very, uh, a, a very specific MO that I think that we should follow. We're starting to follow it some in touring and, and I'm thrilled. Uh, and number one is don't chop the balls off the guy that worked really hard to get fast, because when you knock him down, you also knock five other guys down that are running the same car that are running 10th through 25th. Okay. So, uh, so then he'll continue to work hard and go faster because that's what racing should be. And if you, if you chop him, the guys that are in the back that have the whatever widget cars that aren't fast enough are never going to believe you chopped him enough right. to, to make it right. 
and that you didn't give them anything. So they probably stopped coming. They might stop coming. Okay. So you pissed off the guys in front that worked hard to go fast. Now they're either going to sandbag or go home. You pissed off all the guys in the back because you didn't chop the guy enough in front. You help the guys in back to bring them up. If the class overall ends up going faster, that's what happens. If you take a set of rules and you and you lock them in stone underneath a you know a glass with an alarm on it, the car will be faster next year because a racer will figure out how to go faster. Um, so that's just the evolution of the class. The other thing is, is I don't care if T2 is faster than T1 or T3 is faster than T2. doesn't matter to me. If 45 cars are rolling out on grid and they're having a good race, I do not care about some gap that we're trying to build that, oh, T2 and T3 cars have to be three and a half seconds apart. Nonsense. T3's got to stand by itself. T4's got to stand by itself, et cetera. All these classes need to stand by themselves. And if you're only getting five cars every time, then you need to do something different. But if you're if you're getting fat classes and and uh, you know the cars are halfway around the track before the last one pedals out on the track, you're doing a good job. And I don't care what the gap is. I don't right. care if T one's faster than GT two. Doesn't matter if you got twenty five or thirty cars every time they show up and take the green. You won. Yep. You did good. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and 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 my other thought on on trimming classes, and I'm not suggesting trimming cars. I'm, 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 you know, we want everybody to come out and play. Let's find a way to consolidate the cars together where it makes sense. And it, in, in the end, you know, all we want is track time. And if you have fewer classes, there's an opportunity there for more track time. Yeah. Well, absolutely. No, I, I agree with that hundred percent. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I have to acknowledge just like I'm, I'm running a car that nobody else is running. And, uh, so, and it's a car that's hard to balance uh, because of the way it makes its lap time. So uh, I, I'm looking at realistically that, that, that I might have to switch cars because the whole club shouldn't conform to me. You know, that, that everybody else. Wait, 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 wait. The whole, the whole club shouldn't conform to you. Cause I, I got a, I got a thousand racers out here who think that the club should conform to them individually. Yeah. yeah Cause they've got a 63 midget that, <laughs> that they've had forever or that they've got the latest Supra that, you know, is the coolest car in the universe and therefore it should win. Um, uh, you know, it, it, we've got to, we've got to conform to the majority. I mean, T1 was, was something else in the mid two thousands with 45 entries. I mean, that, that was, was a crazy. Fortunately, most of them were Corvettes, a couple of Porsches, a couple of Vipers, uh, but you know, great to watch. And that's what you need. You need 50 car fields. So it's entertaining because guess what? The course workers show up to watch the race. That's the only reason that they stand out on the corners, you know, with the rain blowing in sideways under the roof or no cover at all, getting sunburned, eating soggy sandwiches and warm soda pops is because they came there to get the best seat in the house to watch racing. If there's three Formula Bs trundling around or four FPs or, you know, two T4 cars, that's not a race. That's not exciting to watch, and they might not want to come back. Right, right. Yeah, that's what people want is – you know, that's I think that's the lure allure of Spec Miata, and that's the allure of Spec Racer Ford, and now to a, a, a similar extent, FE2. You know, there's spec classes, and and while there's pros and cons to that as well, you know, you're now getting fields in all of those classes in almost every super tour in excess of 30 to 40 cars. And even when it's not a super tour, you know, we're getting 25 Miatas at Buttonwillow on what would be considered a, a, a lesser weekend, you know. Yeah. So, that, and that's what people want. Even if you're racing for 25th, you're racing with somebody. No, it's, it's, uh, 
I mean, that's when I, when I took over as Northwest region, uh, uh, regional executive, uh, the first thing I did was consolidate the groups and add some other groups. This year, we're having a big ground pounder class uh, with a huge, a huge, uh, I think a $25,000 prize pot or something like that. So we're bringing all these stock cars up stuff, giving them a separate grid and to race and have some fun. We get the Northwest Miata tour up there. Um, and then the rest of the classes is like, it's big bore closed wheel and small bore closed wheel and small bore open wheel and, 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 uh, and big bore open wheel. And if one of those guys doesn't bring enough, we might combine those two because the workers want to see a bunch of cars moving around. And, uh, uh, and that's how you get spectators too. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing worse as a worker or an announcer, even worse to have a, to have a race where there's three cars circulating and then, you know, one, one pops an oil leak and then the third, the second, one. I mean, I, I've got, a, I've called those classes. I've called those races. It's not exciting. I've volunteered, I've volunteered at Portland before at a regional when there's only three of us on Sunday and it's been 107 degrees out all oh. day, all weekend and stuff. I'm like, just let us take a green flag and call the race early. We don't want, I don't want the workers to hate because I only have two other guys on the grid, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you just, uh, it just doesn't, doesn't work. And so you can't have a class for a group for green cars and a group for blue cars and blah, blah, blah. You know, you got to mix them all up. It's multi-class racing. Absolutely. Absolutely. A guy running with a B-spec guy, both of them got to pay attention. Last question. And we're running out of time. Although we have, it's an arbitrary time. Um, Green to checker. Is it working? Do you like it? Uh, I think the I think that uh, I think it's been better this year yeah. so far. Uh, we've had we've had more green flag running. One of the things that's happened that I've really noticed at these two super tour races is the hot poles. Um, and uh, hopefully that continues. Although it, it can screw you sometimes, but uh, um, I think guys are sort of getting it and 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 being better this year, you know. Um, yeah, but, uh, hot poles are a result of the track you go to in a lot of ch- cases. Um, you know, there's one there's one track in particular I know of that you're not going to get a lot of hot poles, and I won't name it, but everyone knows what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. But but um, but you know, Button Willow has one of the best track safety teams out there. They're going to do hot poles. Um, I was actually surprised as you at, at Sebring and Coda how many hot poles there were. Um, and um, you know, so yeah, absolutely. Um, and and Coda had a couple more full course yellows than Sebring, but we went almost the entire weekend at Sebring with I think maybe one. There was a lot of mishaps at Coda, at least in the two groups that I ran in that I was really surprised that only two cautions because yeah. there was dead cars all over the place in, in tricky places, but they threw the pickup in front to protect the driver and, and got her done. So yeah. that was, that was cool. I thought, um, like I said, it, it screws you sometimes because, sure. because, you know, you'll be giving up more since it's arbitrary, you kind of give up more than the other guy does. And he's like, Oh, okay. So now I'm going to close that gap and you know, whatever. But, uh, anyway, those guys are those guys are brave. You know that they're 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 doing a good job standing out in traffic. A bunch of you know racers with redness going as hard as they could go, and they're just out there hooking up a car. Um, but I think it's I think the initiative. I don't completely understand what the initiative is, but at least you know we're talking to everybody about guys. This is not fun. This is not fun to come three thousand miles and ride around 
in third gear idling. Right. You know, just dumb. And yeah. uh, my hope is that it um, it trickles down because obviously when you go to a super tour, we allegedly have some of the best racers in the country. And I say allegedly with a, a wink and a nod. Um, but we do. I mean, it's it's the premier place and, and, and the cream rises to the top and they show up at the super tours. I'm hoping that that trickles down to some of the non super tour races, the majors and, and the divisionals, um, because sometimes that can be a hot mess, too. So um, but the idea is a good one. You know, I think, and the implementation seems to be pretty solid so far. Um, I've, I've talked with Eric several times, and it's it's there's data behind it, and uh, the data seems to be proving out that it's working. We'll we'll revisit that again towards the end of the year, um, but I think it's a step in the right direction, if if nothing else. So, well, I think one of the things, that, well, as far as trickling down, the place I hope it really trickles to is runoffs, right? Because uh, that's when it's really frustrating. That's when everybody's brought all their best stuff. All the budgets have been thrown out the window and people are standing on the gas hard and need to be smart. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, and, uh, and the funny part was Friday at the runoffs last year, you were there. <laughs> the runoffs were the three worst days of weather I've ever been involved with. And I qualified once in a snowstorm at Road America for the June for the June sprints. So um, it was and Friday in particular was the nastiest day. I, I am shocked, happily shocked that we got all the racing in. Um, but we went the first three races in some horrid conditions without a single full course yellow at the runoffs. I was blown away by that. Well, you know, we're off to a better start anyway, too, just for the weather, because the first, I think the first four super tours last year were crummy weather on every one of them. I mean, oh, okay. Texas was completely frozen. It was an ice storm. We couldn't, we couldn't even get to it. We can't, with four flights canceled on us trying to get down over the race, we never made it um sebring rained sideways when we were down there um so it was off and on you know and then i get and uh atlanta apparently was uh was nasty and wet too and so was vir so uh we're off to killer start we had yeah. great way to go to in sebring yeah definitely definitely all right scotty thank you appreciate you coming on look forward to seeing you next week and we'll clink glasses how's that all right thanks for having me brian absolutely uh we're gonna we're gonna do it again next weekend uh, this is the Inside the SCCA. Uh, we do this every week. Now live on Wednesdays with the podcast on Fridays. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network so you won't miss any uh, any episodes. Also, subscribe to the YouTube channel, The Racing Network. Hit the subscribe button. I was told this weekend I'm supposed to say smash the subscribe the like button. I got to talk like the kids, Scotty, um, and do all that fun stuff. I'm Brian Belansky. Have yourself a, fin- a fantastic weekend. And go out there and play with cars. Hi, I'm Kelton Jago, and this is Inside the SCCA. Inside the SCCA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests, and not that of the SCCA.